Okay, how many of you here, how many of you would say, I'm here tonight? Would you raise your hand? Okay, good. How many are still somewhere else? Not quite sure where you are. Amen. Amen. It's Wednesday night, right? Wednesday night. So let's go to Revelation chapter 12 and let's see if we can get good and get discouraged tonight. What do you think? Revelation 12, we'll start reading a little bit uh, ahead of where we're going to start, um, maybe before, we, before where our text will be. We're going to start in verse 3. It says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And you notice we have not gone into the seven heads much, the ten horns and so forth. We'll be doing some of that um, as we go forward. Verse 4, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So when you look at verse 6, um, we skipped over verse number 6, didn't we? The woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And we talked about this. Um, something to keep in mind, if you're a, a, a novel reader or you're a movie watcher or, or a television series, Netflix, that type of thing, what you'll find is that um, it was really up until the 1970s before there was a huge emphasis on UFOs, extraterrestrial beings, and that type of thing. There's always been some of that, obviously, but a really heavy onslaught came. And one of the, one of the big ones came, uh, one of the big pushes came through movies like Close Encounters of the Third Kind and uh, the movie E.T., Extraterrestrial. And, uh, and, and that was, of course, directed by uh, none other than Steven Spielberg, who uh, was a Jew, is a Jew, and uh, he talks about uh, a lot of his Jewish heritage and all of that. And if you, if you get into it, uh, you'll find that, that uh, MGM, all of those men were, were Jews. And uh, the Jews invented Hollywood. And their, their ability to tell a story is unparalleled. And they have that because uh, God has given them, obviously, an understanding of the universal story, the great history of mankind. And so they have that ability to tell the tale. And uh, you'll find, uh, if you study Spielberg and read about his life, um, his love for mass appeal. He loves to, to make blockbuster movies. He practically invented the, you know, the blockbuster movie. And uh, he, he, so many of the storylines are connected with this uh, major cosmic war. What, there's something that's so much bigger than mankind. And, uh, and, and as a result, and of course, um, his, you know, his Oscars that he got, were from, uh, the first one was from Schindler's List, which was about World War II, and the treatment of the Jews there during that time. And then the second Oscar he got was for um, Saving Private Ryan, which was about World War II as well. And the reason I mention that is not to encourage you to go watch those movies, uh, but for you to understand, if, if you're the kind of person that, that, that thinks there's this huge gap between the secular and the sacred, you're gravely mistaken. Uh, there, there are many underpinnings under all of that. And everything that mankind does is some attempt to try to explain what God has said in the Word. And the more you go, the more you take the Bible literally and understand it and study it, the more you'll see how mankind cannot get away from it. It's just there, it's in our culture, and it's never going away. Uh, and, and the things that are that are written that we'll see in chapter 12 are going to come to pass. And uh, it seems that there's more and more and more of an emphasis on this idea of uh, beings coming from outer space. And uh, we can't fix it. We need someone that's more intelligent than we are. And uh, that wouldn't take much, you know. But the truth is, uh, it's, it's all found in the Word of God. So just for some of you to kind of maybe start thinking about the fact that there are uh, that so much of, of culture is just a faint echo of the truth of the Word of God. Now, let's continue here. We saw how the angels are cast out. Verse 6, 
is, 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 it's, it's on to the mid-tribulation point. Not the beginning, but it's the mid-tribulation point. And the dragon's wrath is renewed at the mid-tribulation point. Israel has had relative peace and safety up to this point, but now that he is cast out, he renews his anger and his wrath. So, Roman number one, the loud voice in heaven. Verse number 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Notice, the loud voice in heaven says, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God. And, and so you can see here that this, this kicking out of Satan out of heaven, uh, and by the way, Satan has access to heaven right now, but he's kicked out at this point, and it gets the wheels started for the coming of Jesus Christ. And, and you, can, you can recognize here that what he is doing, notice what he says. That the, so the commencement of Christ's kingdom, letter A, letter B, the removal of Satan from heaven. The accuser of who? Now, I've always heard, and this is what we commonly think of, and there's nothing wrong with this. We understand that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and that's how the phrase is normally said. But what does the phrase actually say? The accuser of, what is the word? Our, I'm not going to hurt you, I promise you. Let's try it one time. What do you say? The accuser of our brethren. Okay, who is speaking? This, This loud voice in heaven, the accuser of our brethren, it's someone talking about the Jews, talking about the seed of the woman, talking about those uh, who are connected with this woman, the accuser of our brethren. Now, we know he accuses us, but this is specific. By the way, this is the only mention of the accuser of the brethren. It's, it's here. It's talking about the brethren of the Jews, okay? the remnant these people who are left. And it says, which accused them before our God day and night. Now, I want you to think about this. The accusation is being made where? Where did the accuser of these brethren accuse the brethren? Where was it? It was in heaven. And so his, his work, while we know that he has sought and to persecute the woman, Israel, but his work has, has been centered on heaven, spiritual attack. And we'll see here in a little bit why he is in heaven, what he is trying to accomplish with that. But then notice, he's, he's cast out, which we saw last week. And then verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Now, there's many passages we could turn to uh, in Revelation itself. Remember Revelation chapters 2 and 3, where you had the seven churches and you had multiple examples of people doing something. Blessed are they uh, who do this, and um, the, the overcoming will do that, and so forth. I want to show you just one in Revelation 7. Look at chapter 7. And, and so what we're talking about here is people in the wrath of, under the wrath of Satan in the great tribulation, in the second half of the tribulation, that are being killed left and right. We're going to go to chapter 7. Look at 14. 714, it says that these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Notice, the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Here, these folks that came out of the tribulation, have washed their robes. Now, a lot of modern Bible translations have changed this to eliminate the washing by the individual. By the individual. But notice it says here, these washed their robes and made them white. Now, the problem with that is, go to 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is referring to people in the Great Tribulation. So look at 2 Corinthians 5. Second Corinthians 5.21. For he 
hath made him to be sin for us. God the Father made God the Son to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The righteousness which is without the law. This is righteousness that is given to the believer. To those in the age of what we might call the church age, we are given righteousness. The Bible says that the righteousness is the, is the fine linen. It's the fine linen of the saints in, 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 in Revelation 19. So you and I, as church-age saints, do not wash our robes and make them white. I don't know about you, uh, I wouldn't have any righteousness. I'd have very little righteousness for a very short time, and then it would be gone. Now there, the, but, but here we have a group of people who are washing their robes and making them white. And the Bible tells us they love not their lives unto the death. The death is not just death, but in the uh, tribulation, death is going to, going to be decapitation. And so you have people who refuse to take the mark, and we'll look at this again next week, uh, Lord willing, but uh, to save time, these are folks who refuse to take the mark, and the Lord said in Matthew 24, he that shall blank unto the end shall be saved. What's the word? Endure. Endure. So in other words, they're saved by the blood of the Lamb, but they must continue to avoid taking the mark. If they take the mark, they're not going to be saved by the blood of the Lamb. There's a distinction made between where we are and where they are in the future. And it's hard to understand at first because you think, well, wait just a second. How in the world? Well, it, 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 it harkens back to the Old Testament where people, uh, not everyone had the sure mercies of David. Not everyone had that. Uh, they had to continue to offer those sacrifices and why? They were rolling that forward, and they even still were not saved by themselves. They went to the heart of the earth in paradise, Abraham's bosom, and Jesus Christ, after his death, when he goes down to the heart of the earth, he led captivity captive and took them out with them, so they could not be saved, brought to heaven by themselves, and yet they were not in heaven. Christ had to bring them. They had done all the work. Why couldn't they go to heaven? Because the blood of Christ had not yet been offered. It was not a full payment that was made. And so as you go into it, what you'll find is there are verses that you can read and you can say, wait a second, that sounds like you can lose your salvation. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, the Bible indicates that there are people in certain time frames that can lose their salvation. And that's a tough pill to swallow because we think, well, wait just a second. But you've got to remember, no one is born again in the Old Testament. No one is sealed with the Spirit of God until the day of redemption in the Old Testament. That's something that takes place uh, after the mystery of the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ is made to the Apostle Paul. And the Bible says, Paul said, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. And, and what does that mean? It means you and I have been given a very special position in this moment of time. Why? Well, you know what's crazy about it? It has nothing to do with how dedicated people are in this age. You want to talk about the grace, the age of grace? Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That means that this is probably the most sinful age that has ever been as far as people claiming to know God. Grace did much more abound. And uh, God has a whole lot more for us than just getting saved and sit soaking sour. But the truth of the matter is, you get saved and you want to, you can sit soaking sour. You say, I, don't, I can't believe you would. You're doing it anyhow. You're already doing it. Sit soaking sour. Well, I, I think if someone's really saved, they will persevere. Careful. Careful. You, what, what people really mean when they say that is if someone's really saved, they will work hard to prove that they are saved. If I have to work hard to prove that I'm saved, to whom am I proving it, number one? Am I proving it to you or if I'm proving it to me? If I'm proving to myself that I'm saved by how hard I work, what am I trusting in to get myself to heaven? You see, it's, a, it's an important thing. You've got to make, you've got to draw a distinction. And listen, let me, let me just encourage you. 
you don't have to be afraid of the Bible. If, if the Bible dict, you know, uh, contradicts what you think, that's okay. At the end of the day, as long as you're trusting in the written words of God, properly contextualized, and, and, and if I use this word, annotated by other scriptures, as long as you're doing that, you're going to be fine. You're not going to get in trouble. But, uh, but that's, it's, it's something important to keep in mind. The church age here, uh, saying you and I are given the pure, spotless righteousness of Jesus Christ, and that's not the case in every period of time. Now, notice what they're doing. Verse number 12, back to Revelation chapter 12. Look at verse 12. They are rejo- there is rejoicing in heaven, and there is sorrow on earth. Therefore, rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Now, what, what, what is happening here? What's happening in heaven? Satan and his angels are getting cast out. So now heaven can rejoice. You know what that tells us? There's something that's bothering heaven right now. And we talk about how in heaven there's no sin, there's no sorrow and suffering and so forth. And, and you know, I mean, that makes for good preaching, I guess. But if you got Satan up there, you probably got some sin somewhere. They're, they're coming before the throne. It says that he accused them... He accused our brethren before the throne day and night. The Bible says that the heavens are not pure in his sight. When he, when they finally, all those folks actually just finally get kicked out, people are throwing, they're throwing a party. They're saying, this is awesome. This is what it's supposed to be like. You ever had a a, a rebellious member of your family? In some instance, I don't think I ever had that when I was growing up, anybody, if I can think of anything. But, you know, when there's a rebel in the room, it it really is kind of hard to just relax. And when the rebel gets kicked out, it's amazing the kind of peace that comes, the joy. Now, we're not supposed to talk about that, right? We're supposed to just love everybody. We're supposed to, everybody's okay, and nobody's too far gone. But I'm telling you, when there's somebody pushing back in the family, that just always has a burr out of their saddle, and, and they get, they finally make their exit, it's amazing the kind of peace that, that comes in. And that's what happens here in heaven. But the bad thing is, for the people on earth, it says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea! For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. There's the, there's the dragon who has great wrath. How much time does he have? He has three and a half years. No, it says, he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Let's take our Bibles. Look at Psalm 89. Psalm 89. And verse uh, 36. Psalm 89, 36. When you begin to cross-reference, you'll find a lot of the Psalms actually have to do with the second advent, with the tribulation period, with the millennium. And it's really exciting when you start to make those cross-references. 36, it says, His seed his seed uh, shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven, Selah. Remember that word, Selah? When you see Selah, it's talking about, uh, musicologists will tell you, uh, that it's a musical rest. But it seems, excuse me, it seems to have a very uh, unique connection with the second advent, with the day of the Lord. Selah, the word S-E-L-A-H. Okay. Now we won't go into in all this, but but notice um, all of this is talking about preserving David, my servant, and the covenant, and he's going to build it up, uh, this throne to all generations. So he says in verse thirty-six, it shall be established forever. Because in verse 35, once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David, his seed shall endure forever. Now remember, we just saw the woman clothed with the sun, moon under her feet, and a faithful witness in heaven, and the stars of heaven there. And he says, but thou hast, verse 38, but thou hast cast off and abhorred, thou hast been wroth with thine anointed. Do you see that? Thou hast made void the covenant of thy servant, thou hast profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. Thou hast broken down all his hedges. Thou hast brought his strongholds to ruin. 
all that pass by the way spoil him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. Thou hast set up the right hand of his adversaries. Thou hast made all his enemies to rejoice. He goes on and on and on about all these things. Look at verse 46. How long, Lord, wilt thou hide thyself forever? Shall thy wrath burn like fire? And he says, remember how short my time is. Wherefore hast thou made all men in vain? What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? Selah. Lord, where are thy former loving kindnesses which thou swearest unto David in thy truth? Do you see how he mentions the short time and the wrath? Verse 46 and 47. That's exactly what's happening in Revelation 12. The devil comes down and he is furious because he just lost. So he's, he's really upset now at the woman. So he comes down and he begins to persecute her. So that's the rejoicing in heaven and sorrow on earth that leads us to the fifth personality, which is the remnant. We'll see that here in a moment. But the remnant is the, 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 the believer, the believing Jews who are left. They're still around. But it starts with the dragon's persecution. In verse 4, we saw the dragon, what was in heaven, accusing, seeking to destroy the woman in heaven. But by 13, now the narrative has shifted to Satan seeking to destroy the woman on earth. When the, woman, when the dragon saw that he was cast under the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. So what does God do? Well, verse 14, to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness. So this is the eagle's protection. The means of escape. What is it? Two wings of a great eagle. I do not know what that means. But I will tell you, in the Old Testament, we know that God led Israel out of Egypt as it were on eagle's wings. Exodus 19. Uh, God cared for Israel in the wilderness like a mother eagle cares for her brood in Deuteronomy 32. You know the verse that we quote all the time, uh, wings as eagles? They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run uh, and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's speaking of the Babel, the Israel, the Isra, uh, Israel's return from Babylonian captivity. It was on the wings of an eagle. In other words, relax. I'll take it from here. I, I will take you safely from a place of danger to a place of blessing. And that is, that's what God did in the Old Testament. Here, God is taking the believing remnant to a special place of protection in the same way. Uh, remember in the Old Testament, Elijah, how Elijah was miraculously transported. He, the Bible says that his loins were girded up so he could outstrip Ahab. And he ran before him uh, across the plain of Ezdraleon, 18 miles, and he ran faster than Ahab's chariot. How was that? God strengthened him and transported him from a place of danger. There was a cloud coming in the rain to a place of safety. Philip was flown across country, remember, when he was, in, he was preaching in Samaria, and then God... The Spirit picked him up and brought him all the way down to that Ethiopian eunuch south of Jerusalem. So the Lord has the ability. Let me show you something in John chapter 6. It's really cool. Uh, John chapter 6. Look at verse uh, 21. Verse, verse 18, uh, it's dark. They're, the disciples are in a ship. Jesus is not with them. The sea uh, started getting crazy, and they were afraid. And uh, But verse 20, But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Now, now look at this. Um, they, they've gone down into the ship, and they'd rowed, how long? Verse 19, about 5 and 20 or 30 furlongs. And then all of a sudden, they, it, it, Jesus comes, he says, Be not afraid. Verse 21, Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. You ever see that? That's crazy, isn't it? Now, don't you wish that that was always the case? As soon as you recognize the Lord, the trial is over with. It's not always the case, is it? 
but I'd rather have Jesus in the boat with me in the storm, even if the storm lasted the rest of my life. Uh, because you don't know when the storm's going to end. But there are times when the Lord brings it immediately to an end. And that, that's an example right there of this supernatural transportation. Go to Proverbs chapter 30. Look at Proverbs 30 and see if we can uh, tie this in. Again, Old Testament passage, there's so many things, phrases that we, uh, we sometimes don't connect until we start making these, uh, these cross-references. Look at Proverbs 30. And uh, it says, there be three things, verse 18, 30, 18, there be three things which are too wonderful for me, yea, four which I know not, the way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent upon a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. Now, I don't claim to understand uh, all of those things, I certainly don't. It, it is too wonderful for me to understand the way of a man with a maid. That's for sure. Uh, but I know that the, the Lord says there's something special, wonderful, about how an eagle flies in the air. And uh, eagles are incredible animals. If you study them, I've heard uh, since I was a child, my dad would preach a message on eagle saints. And it was a great message. We heard a lot of different things and and, and talk about how eagles mate for life and how uh, mother eagles will take the fuzz out of the nest so that the little eaglets get up on the edge of the nest because they don't want to get poked anymore. And then the eagle will flutter her wings underneath and the eaglet will jump down on the back of the, the mother eagle and mom will take them up in the air and turn them over and they'll flutter down and flutter down. And right before they crash on the rocks, the mother eagle will swoop in and, and grab the eagle on her back again and take it up and repeat the process until they learn how to fly. They say that, you know, the, the male and the female eagle will lock together and free fall. I mean, is that romantic or what? And apparently they're not even fighting. And they'll just fall like that, locked in. That's, why I, that's the way I feel in my marriage. Just my wife and I locked in for dear life, falling through the air. And... Uh, but eagles are really cool, and, and, and the Lord says, there, there's something I can't, it's too wonderful, the way of an eagle. And he, and he mentions the serpent, too, which we'll see here in Revelation chapter 12. The serpent is connected there. Um, all right, so enough of that. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 12. We're going to talk about uh, the place of protection. Now, we've mentioned this again, but if you're like me, I feel like going through Revelation, I get one little tidbit and then I forget it. And then I, I find four tidbits, and then I forget five of them. I don't even know how I forgot five. I only knew four. But it's, it, it, the repetition of it helps to start picking up pieces here and there, and you start seeing it throughout the Scripture. Uh, look at, look at uh, verse number 12. I'm sorry, verse number 14. To the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly into the wilderness into her place. Her place, right? You notice that, that, that Satan was cast out. Their place was found no more, right? Now here, her place is where? Well, we looked at this before. It's in the wilderness. But I want you to see that it's a place of refuge. And I want you to see that the cities of refuge are a type of this in the Old Testament. And here's the thought. Here's the thought. The six designated cities. Remember, in the Old Testament, you had three on one side of, of the River Jordan, three on the other side of the River Jordan. And what you'd have is um, if someone killed someone accidentally, not premeditatedly, but accidentally killed someone, they could run to this city of refuge and hide out. They could stay there till the death of the high priest. If they were guilty, they couldn't stay there. But... If they were innocent, they could run into the city. The idea of, of, what do they call them now, safe cities or sanctuary cities. That idea, that came from the Old Testament. And it was there on purpose to keep the mob from just lynching somebody, like a vigilante. And so it's provided in the Old Testament. What's interesting, and Brother Knox talked about this idea when he was here, the Jews were responsible for the death of Christ. Okay? So if you think about this, they're fleeing 
And they're running out into the wilderness to a place of refuge. And just as the Old Testament uh, manslayer could hide out in a place if he was not guilty, he could hide out in one of these six cities. Um, he was guilty of manslaughter, but not of murder. And there is a difference. Aren't you glad that there's a difference? Um, the Jews were indeed responsible for it, but the Lord said they, they didn't know what they were doing. Remember the Jews said, his blood be on who? On us and our children. And we've talked about, people talk about that, and they say, well, it certainly has been on them and on their children and so forth, and there's probably a truth in that. But remember, Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them. What was the reason given? For they know not what they do. Take your Bibles and go to uh, Acts chapter 3 and look at verse 15. Acts 3.15. Here we have the great sermon to the nation of Israel. Acts 3, and uh, let's, let's pick it up in verse number 15. It says here, it says, uh, I'm sorry, verse 14, but ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. Who was the murderer? Barabbas, right? And killed the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And he says in verse 17, And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. They did it through ignorance. Here Peter is preaching. He said, I know you did it ignorantly. Now, we don't think of that often, but, but God did not hold them guilty of murder for his son. Go, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry, forward to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul, he says in verse number 8, um, verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew. The princes would include the rulers of the Jews at that time, the chief priests, the rabbis, so forth, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had they known what? That God was uh, in, in flesh, that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. They did not know that they were crucifying their Messiah. They knew it was a, it was a frenzied mob that, that wanted to get rid. And by the way, that's a good example. Sometimes, this is a very practical example, pause the, 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 the theological narrative for a moment. Uh, sometimes we think just because someone did something, they really meant to do it and they're trying to destroy us. But here, Jesus Christ himself said, they don't know what they're doing. And God said, they did it in ignorance. It's, it's just a practical thing. Keep, keep a little place in your heart for even while you're being crucified to say, I can forgive this person because they don't necessarily mean it the way I would mean it if I were doing it. You see what I'm saying? If you can maintain a little bit of grace, it'll help you a lot in your relationships instead of just assuming the worst. Well, I know why you did it. What, you, what sometimes we, we're meaning when we say that is, if it were me, I know why I would be doing it. And it's very dangerous to, uh, to assume motives. A lot of times in your marriage, that can ruin things. When you start not just getting mad at what they did, but trying to find out and assuming why they did it. That's a really dangerous place. Now, you know, you don't, don't need to say anything. I know it's a very serious, <laughs> very serious thing. But uh, be careful with that. Now, let's go to Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26 is talking about this, uh, this time frame where the woman is being persecuted by the dragon. The eagle is given as protection. Um, again, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, uh, an eagle, per se. Maybe it is an eagle. I don't know. But the dragon... The dragon is in the spirit realm, he's a dragon, but, but when he comes down on earth, he's a man. All right? So the eagle, what's the corollary? Some people say, well, it's the U.S. Air Force. I don't think it is. 
It wasn't the U.S. Air Force in the Old Testament when the great eagle helped the nation of Israel. Um, it was the miraculous provision of God, right? Now, if we get into the, the tribulation, we're watching it, you know, from heaven, and we see a great eagle, I'll be the first to eat humble pie. But uh, I think it's the miraculous protection of God. Look at 26.20, Isaiah 26.20. Here the Lord says, Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers, and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment. Remember, he said he had a short time, three and a half years. Until the indignation be overpassed. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth. Remember, we talk about Revelation 12, 12, the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. The Lord is coming to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. Look at chapter 27, verse 1. In that day, the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. So notice here the word piercing. Hold on to that word in your mind. But, but this is a, the context of the Great Tribulation where Israel runs into this place with chambers and shuts the door and hides herself. And, uh, of course, this is what they've done throughout their history, hiding, their self, hiding themselves from, uh, from someone coming to destroy them. And then we see the Lord comes out of his place and this great Leviathan, the serpent, is punished. Notice, did you see Leviathan, serpent, dragon? That is the reason why when we go to the book of Job and we see Leviathan talked about, we can't, one of the reasons is that we can see the connection with Satan. We know here, according to this verse right here, 27, that there's a connection with Satan himself, Leviathan. All right. Now, let's, uh, let's, uh, I think your, your blank there is, uh, many Bible students believe that this refers to Selah Petra in the land of Moab south of the Dead Sea. Uh, so have you seen that? Uh, one of the Indiana Jones films had this, it was filmed there. Uh, the idea is that uh, they're going to flee Jerusalem and all of the rest of the land of Israel, and they're going to go down to this place, and they're going to hide. And that's a possibility, no doubt. It's in the right region. Uh, Daniel chapter 11 Daniel 11:41. if you want to turn there, I'm going to read it. You can go back to Isaiah 16, if you would, Isaiah 16. It, it's talking about the Antichrist in Daniel 11, and this is what he says. He said, he shall enter also into the glorious land. Where's the glorious land? Israel, my glory, is what Israel is called. This is talking about the nation, the land, the region of Israel. It says, he shall enter also into the glorious land. Many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape out of his hand. Which ones? Even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. Now look at verse 16, uh, chapter 16 of, uh, and verse 4 of Isaiah. Isaiah 16, 4. It says, Let mine outcasts dwell with thee, Moab. Be thou a covert to them from the face of the spoiler. Let mine outcasts dwell with thee, Moab. Now, we don't have the time to go into it, but Scripture indicates there's going to be a fight with some people on the way down there. But apparently, Moab and Edom are able to put up enough aggression, enough of a defense against the Antichrist. He's not going to be able to take over that region, and they're going to go down there, and they're going to hide. Uh, how many? Well, just like, you know, we talk about how many animals, how could you possibly get all the animals on the ark? Well, if you look at after its kind, right, you have much, uh, very few variations, all the, you know, greyhounds and dachshunds and St. Bernards and all just one, you know, just a pair of dogs, right? Well, if you think about Israel, they've been purged and they're going to be purged uh, down to a, a small remnant and they're going to be able to hide in this rock fortress and Moab is going to be an area that, that the Antichrist has not been able to get under his thumb. Um, something to keep in mind. Sometimes we think of the spiritual realm, everybody's just hugely powerful. You ever study Greek mythology? And you have gods and lesser gods and greater gods and gods that spawn other gods and so forth and so on. What is that whole idea about? That in the spiritual realm, there are levels of power. There's, Jesus has how much power did he say he has? 
All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Uh, by the way, that's why we shouldn't be afraid of giving out the gospel, because Jesus has all power, right? You don't have to worry about it. Um, you're not telling people about your personality. If you do that, you may feel weak or you may feel falsely strong if it's all about you. But you give out the gospel, it's because Jesus has all power and you tell people of the gospel, right? Well, in the realm of the spirit, the spiritual realm, there is no such thing as an omnipotent being other than God. There's levels of power. So when you think about the Antichrist, Having the power of Satan, he's still not able to conquer some of the things, some of the, the regions right there in the area of Palestine. Isn't that phenomenal? That should encourage you. Um, here's, here's Satan. He's fighting not with God. He's fighting with Michael and Michael's angels. And what happens? He loses. God does not kick him out. Michael kicks him out. Michael and his angels kick him out. What does that mean? Hey, Satan is much more powerful than anybody here, anyone you've ever met or heard of or read of, but he's, he, he doesn't have all power. There, there's, there's little areas that he can't get a hold of. The devil will tell you, I, there's nothing I can do. Your flesh will tell you, there's nothing I can do. And it's a lie. It's a lie. Don't listen to the lies of the devil. So we have, we have here this area, but let's talk now back to Revelation chapter 12. We're making good time here. Down to two pages of my notes. Uh, look at, look at um, chapter 12. Again, Revelation 12, and I should tell you just to hang on to that place because we're going back and forth. Revelation 12, it says, uh, verse 14, The woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And so uh, she is being fed here. We saw in the earlier part of chapter 12, she is being fed and she's nourished. She's provided for miraculously um, by the Lord from the face of the serpent. Now look at verse 15, rather. We have the dragon's deluge or deluge. You, you come up and tell me how to pronounce it afterwards. It's been a question in my mind. I've never looked it up all my life. The word deluge or deluge, I don't know. But I do know how to spell it, and so I put it on there for you. The dragon's deluge. Now, verse 15, it says, The serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. Now, it would make sense if the woman... If the remnant of Israel is in this rock fortress with very narrow passageways, very high you know, walls, that if you were able to send a whole bunch of water in there, you could flood them out. It could be like drats, uh, drats, rats drowning on a ship. Could be drats too, who knows? Man, you guys love when I make mistakes. So you ever notice that? That's one way to get your attention. I'm going to start putting that in my notes more often. Um... So the serpent casts out of his mouth water as a flood. Now, I don't know exactly. I'll give you a couple of different ways of looking at this, but I want to show you one, uh, two places. Daniel 9, Daniel chapter 9, look at verse 26. Daniel chapter 9, here we are right in this time frame. 9.26, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. That's the 69... 69 weeks uh, of Daniel, and then you have um, not for himself, and then there's a pause. We have not yet begun the 70th week of Daniel. There's 70 weeks that are determined upon thy people. We're in a holding pattern at this time. But, but after three score and two weeks, Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come, the prince that shall come, that's the Antichrist, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. Remember, have the abomination of desolations. All right, so the end thereof shall be with a flood. Let me give you a thought, something to, something to uh, consider. Remember, we talked about Leviathan, right? Leviathan, that, that, that great serpent dragon being that is a type of, of Satan. Let's go to Job chapter 40. Job chapter 40 and verse 23. Job 40 
where God is, God is explaining that Job doesn't know everything, and God's the one that's describing Leviathan. God's the one that's telling us about this great beast. And he says, look at verse number 23. Uh, what am I, I'm in the wrong place. Oh, there we go. Behold, 30, 40, 23. Behold, he drinketh up a river and hasteth not. He trusteth that he can draw up Jordan into his mouth. He taketh, he taketh it with his eyes. His nose pierceth through snares. Remember what we read? Uh, back in Isaiah 26 and 27, rather, that he's called the piercing serpent. And uh, here in Job chapter 40, he is he believes that he can draw up Jordan into his mouth. So could it be that this is an attempt by Satan to reroute the Jordan River to flood the Jews in Selah Petra? Maybe it is. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's certainly an interesting thought. You think about the dragon, the serpent rather, the serpent um, cast out of his mouth water. Where did he get that water? Well, if, if Leviathan, this dragon serpent, has that water in his mouth, he drew, he drew it into his mouth and now he's casting it out. Just a, just a thought. Back to Revelation chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 16. We'll see now the earth's assistance. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. Isn't this nice? Finally, after all these 6,000 plus years, the earth is finally helping us. Well, it's not us, but it's Israel. But I think it's great. We're always trying to save the earth and help the earth. Finally, the earth is given a little something back, and that's nice. The earth helped the woman. Uh, is this a literal flood? Well, we know that there was a literal flood in Noah's day, which was designed to destroy the royal seed. Uh, it, it, it threatened to destroy the royal seed, but God designed an ark. God designed an ark, and Shem happened to be in that ark, and the Hebrew, Hebrew race was with Shem was preserved. And then if you remember, Pharaoh tried to destroy that line, that royal line. But God preserved the baby Moses in a smaller model of the floating ark. It's the same word. You ever think about that? How she made an ark of bulrushes. One, one of the beautiful things about telling uh, your children's stories, you don't have to tell them all about this. But you tell them the stories just straight up as the scripture gives them. And then they can stick in their minds for the rest of their lives. And then they can start making these connections. Uh, it's, it's very sad when a person doesn't have those connections. They can't remember something they've never been told. So we really, that's what we try to do with the kids' ministries here. We try to make sure they have that. But uh, we're just helping the parents do what they're responsible to do. Uh, and then we have God using Moses, the same Moses, to lead his people across the Great Red Sea. And, uh, and the Bible says... Exodus chapter 15, uh, who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods, who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. Speaking of Pharaoh and his army. So is this a literal flood? Well, we know that God can preserve his people through a literal flood. Is this a flood of nations or armies? Well, God can preserve them through that as well. In the wilderness, remember, when, when uh, Korah and Dathan and Abiram stood up against Moses uh, and Aaron, and the Bible says that the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses. Uh, one more verse, Isaiah 59, verse 19, it says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a, what's the word? A flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against them. And it says, and the Redeemer shall come to Zion. So the devil is seeking to just flood the people of God. Now, we feel that today, don't we? Flood the people of God. Flood us with anxiety, with fear, with anger, with lust. To flood. He's trying to flood. By the way, if you, if you have a phone, you can have some control over what floods your heart. You can turn it off, Right? Um, if you have toxic friends, 
How's that for a buzzword? If you have toxic friends, you can say, I'm sorry, I can't hang out with you. By the way, if you have a friend that demands that you be with them all the time, unless that is your spouse, and even then you've got to, you know, right? A good spouse doesn't demand that you are with them all of the time, right? But a, toxic, a good friend is not demanding that you always hang out and call them. And so be careful, people that manipulate you like that. A good friend wants to help encourage you and wants to see you go further on for God. But, but, but you do have some control over how much you are flooded with iniquity. Now, if you go to work and, and you have to listen to rock music all day, sometimes it can be very difficult. I will say this. It is possible in a pagan land surrounded by pagans to go up to the higher in command and request of the prince of the eunuchs that you might not defile yourself. It is possible to do that. I'm not saying it'll work, but it worked for Daniel. I mean, Daniel was praying. Daniel had his friends praying. And maybe you're getting sick and tired of the attitude, sick and tired of the, of the foul mouth. Sick and tired of, of the, the junk that people put on their walls and their lockers. Maybe you're sick of it, and maybe there's something you can do. Maybe. Right? You know what? We all say, this world is wicked, and we never stand up against it. You know what they're doing out there? You know, the, the, a slothful man saith, there is a lion without, I shall be slain in the streets. Hey, I, I'm saying, don't knock it till you tried it. You say, well, uh, it'll never, nothing's ever worked. Okay, if you've tried and you've done your best to push back against it, then okay. But I would, I would be careful that you don't just uh, lie down and it's easier sometimes to complain about things than to do something about them. And you actually sound righteous and super spiritual. Because what's interesting is I can't stand that person, but I don't want them to think that I'm a bad testimony. I never talk to them. I won't ever say anything about them or against them, but I don't want them to think I'm a bad testimony. Be careful. It could be cowardice. Just, hey, stand up. You say, I don't want people to think I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a jerk. Well, you think they're a jerk. How can you show the love of Christ if you, don't, if you can't stand that person and you let them irritate you and never say anything? You say, I'm supposed to be, uh, you know, we get this weird idea. You know, Jesus did go into the temple and overturn the money changers' tables. There, there was a time to stand up and say, hey, uh, Paul said, is it lawful for you to do this? This is against the law. Maybe you could use some of that. And it, the key is your attitude and your motive. You know why Daniel did it? Daniel requested not to defile himself because he wanted to honor his God. And if you're in the workplace and you can't honor your God, your attitude is always thinking because this person is always doing things that are wicked. If there's something you can do, hey, at least pray and then ask your boss. You say, well, it is my boss. I talked to somebody, I talked to somebody just a couple weeks ago. They had to go and on purpose confront their boss about the way that they were treating them. And he went with trembling he went with fear, he went with counsel, he went with prayer and support, and he said, hey, listen, you can't be saying that to me. I'll do any work that you want, I'll follow whatever order you give, but you can't be treating me that way. And guess what happened? The guy backed down. Yeah, you know what? And that may not be the end of the war. It may have to do it again and again. But, but where's this idea that Christians are supposed to just put up let everything go. You know, the problem is there's not enough boldness for people to say, actually, that's not right. That's not right. You shouldn't do that. Uh, have, some, have some grit at some point. Be able to stand up and say, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. That's not right. By the way, that's not helping our company move forward. That's actually making me very unproductive. I, I, can't, I can't operate in that. I'll stay here and I'll do whatever you want and I'll stay twice as long as you. Whatever is required. doesn't matter. I'm not worried. But this right here, I cannot tolerate. Just as you, I wouldn't tolerate you screaming in my ear while I work. I can't tolerate this. I don't know what it is. I don't know who I'm talking to tonight. I'm just saying sometimes be careful. When the enemy shall come up like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And you might actually find that you are more respected by people for taking a stand than just floating along like a dead fish down the river. Why? Hey, Jesus Christ is set to change people's lives. He's not just an add-on to your monthly subscription. 
And, and if you can say, he means enough for me to stand up, you'll stand. People are curious. They'll just be like, oh, look at her go. Like, why is she doing that? And then if you can maintain the right spirit, God could really bless it. All right. And if you need prayer with that, you, uh, uh, you, you ask me. I'll pray with you. And then I'll ask you for prayer when I need courage, too. Boy, don't we need it. All right. Last verse tonight. Last verse. Revelation 17. Uh, 12, 17. 12, 17. Uh, the, this is the dragon's frustration. Okay? So... It says, and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So the dragon is wroth with the woman. But notice, you saw how the dragon was angry and, and, and had great wrath, and he came after her, and uh, she went and hid, and then he brought the flood, and the earth swallowed the flood, and so now the, the dragon is frustrated. And it says he went to make war. Now, where is that? Well, no doubt he is still attacking them there at this fortress, but I think he's also going other places to, uh, to make war with the remnant of her seed. That brings us back to Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. The woman doesn't have the seed, but yet she has a seed, the virgin birth. But I want you to see here this idea of the dragon making war with the Jews. Uh, the first president of Israel, his name was Chaim Wiseman. And he had uh, incredible, incredible uh, career, what he did. Listen to what he said. He said, I believe the one fundamental cause of anti-Semitism is that the Jew exists. We seem to carry anti-Semitism in our knapsacks wherever we go. He's talking about the Jews. He said, we bring it with us. He said, the growth and intensity of anti-Semitism is proportional to the number of Jews or to the density of the Jews in a given country. Now, that does make sense. Obviously, there wouldn't be a whole lot of anti-Semitism if there were no Jews there. But he's saying, we're the ones that cause people to be anti-Semitic. That's a pretty big admission for a Jew, the first president of Israel. You know what he's saying? It's because we are alive that people hate us. And he's not wrong. Satan is after the Jews, and he is, he's the dragon here after all of this, even trying to throw this flood, and it gets completely saturated in the, in the earth. He still is angry. He's still coming after him. Uh, the devil cannot prevail against Michael, so he persecutes the woman. When he cannot prevail against the woman, he persecutes her seed. The remnant of her seed here are saved Hebrew Christian Jews in the tribulation, who still observe the Old Testament commandments. We don't keep the commandments of God in the sense of the Old Testament. Galatians tells us that uh, that has been uh, nailed to the cross, the handwriting of ordinances, which was against us. But, but we uh, have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, one final thing is uh, that Revelation 19.10 says the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. What is that? It is the ability to tell the future. The ability to tell the future. These people here have the ability to tell the future, and that is if we endure to the end, uh, we're going to be delivered. We know that. You and I, we have the ability to tell the future. You know, it's something that sets apart Christianity from every other religion. You can tell the future. How do I, what do I mean by that? I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I know where I'm going to be 10 million light years from now. I know where I'm going to be. I'm going to be in Christ. Wherever Christ is, that's where I'm going to be. You have that ability to tell the future. So what, what happens is we go through our life, our daily work life, and, we, and, and other, everybody else could be happy or depressed or up or down, living for the weekend, whatever. What sets a Christian apart is that you know what's going to happen when you die. That's an amazing thing to have. Here, these people are in the tribulation, and they are holding on to what they know is going to come to pass. The testimony of Jesus Christ. You have the spirit of prophecy as well. And don't forget it. Don't forget that you know what's coming in 10 years. You may not know what's going to come in 10 minutes, but you know that wherever you are, what's ever happening in the future, Jesus Christ is going to be with you. 
So don't get too discouraged. Don't get depressed. Uh, you are being taken care of very well by the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, well, that's, our, that's the uh, end of Revelation 12 tonight.